I envision that one day we'll have as many as 400 of these front yard gardens across Los Angeles. It's such a hyper-local system. People are eating from those, hiring locally, supplying locally, all of that is very possible. I really enjoyed getting to know different communities across Chicago, New York, LA, and various cities in between now who all care about taking back their own food cycle, creating value for themselves that's unique to their community, and to do it in a way that's fair to everybody. Welcome to the Stories for Action podcast, where we speak with folks taking bold actions for a thriving planet. Our aim is to bridge divides and provide calls to action to help you find your role for positive impact. I'm your host, Laura Tomov. Let's talk lawns. In the United States, over 50 million acres of land has some form of mowed grass lawn on it. That's three times more than any irrigated crop in the country. Americans collectively spend about $30 billion on lawn care each year. We use 200 million gallons of gas on mowing, 70 million pounds of pesticides, and use nearly 3 trillion gallons of drinkable water, or one-third of all public water use, to water those lawns. Now let's talk food deserts, or areas that lack access to healthy foods, especially affordable healthy food. A modest count says that 23 million people live in such areas in the U.S. alone. These areas with high volumes of fast food restaurants and grocery stores that lack availability of healthy, fresh foods has a strong correlation to communities of color and areas below the poverty line. This is one element in the systemic oppression of marginalized communities, because as we know, especially after this last year, the success and strength of individuals and communities depends on good health. Today we speak with someone taking action to address both of these concepts while creating community empowerment, jobs, and human connection. Jemiah Hargens is the founder of CropSwap LA, a social enterprise seeking to convert lawns and unused spaces into hubs of nutrient-rich food for Los Angeles communities. What started as a method of connecting neighborhood gardeners to share their extra produce has grown into a full venture that includes Jemiah and his team literally planting the seeds for community connections and healthy food. CropSwap LA installs vertical farms for businesses or residents, allowing anyone to grow dozens of veggies right on their doorstep. Additionally, CropSwap LA recently broke ground on their first front lawn farm, the Asante Micro Farm, located in South Los Angeles. The plan is to have this be the first of several front lawn microfarms throughout LA in communities that are the most affected by nutritional food discrimination. Jemiah speaks with us about this work, the challenges and payoffs of starting up a social enterprise, and the power of nutritious food to connect us to our communities and environments. Really, it all began with, you know, me growing in my own backyard and having extras. It was friends and neighbors who uh, I'd say, here's a squash, you know, we've had six of them, we don't want any more, you know, and it just became a fun little gardener get together, uh, actually on a monthly basis. And then eventually we decided to open a farmer's market to invite some vendors out at a local uh, church parking lot. And then now installing gardens and creating, you know, what we, we think is a more independent and honest food system. And for you yourself, is your background in food and working in the soil. Tell me a little bit about your backstory. 
Well, I used to be a stock trader and trading options and futures on the market. Then I decided to leave that world and work in nonprofits, uh, both in running a social enterprise in Brazil that kind of got me back to the land a little bit. But mainly when I came back to the States, uh, it was about con connecting with community gardens and doing that through the nonprofit lens. I love helping people, but I think my main passion has always been like understanding how plants work, like plants when they're alive and when they're consumed are just so fascinating to me. The more I put myself in that cycle of how plants operate, the more I can understand how our society can operate, how we can support each other and experience and, and step into new cycles um, and you know produce and nurture and create worth that wasn't there before. I think that's an exercise that many of us as humans have forgotten. So I really enjoyed getting to know different communities across Chicago, New York, LA, and various cities in between now who all care about taking back their own food cycle, creating value for themselves that's unique to their community, and to do it in a way that's fair to everybody. And there's so much in the ripple effect of this work. That's why we love stories about food systems so much, because it hits everything. Do you mind just telling us the physical logistics of CropSwap LA's approach? Sure. sure. I mean, physically, in, in real life, we have five trainees who are each learning and getting adapted into roles related to the construction of and installation of these front yard gardens, as well as uh, maintaining like compost, harvesting, design. And yeah, it's it's been great. Uh, now we have probably three days a week, uh, we get together and do work there that I plan out. You know, certain hours are designated in our land use agreement with the family that lives there. And we just want to make sure that we come by certain hours to do work and then leave and make sure that they feel like they've got their space and that that be a, a regular practice for, for all of our spaces. You know, it's a new kind of relationship, kind of share proper, but kind of also small business because a portion of what we sell uh, will also give back to the homeowner as part of our agreement. And a portion of what we grow will always be given away at the, at the onset. So we do have a small, you know, community donation, 10% uh, of our food, and then the 90% can be sold to our members on a subscription kind of basis. And do you mind speaking a little bit on the water capture system that you guys use? You know, it's mainstream conversation in places like Los Angeles about uh, retaining water and saving water. But really around the world, it's something that everybody needs to be thinking about, even in places where they think they may be water wealthy. You know, fresh water is a resource that's invaluable and it's being depleted around the world. And so much of it that's great for drinking or growing food is lost, you know, down the drain or in runoff of impermeable surfaces. Can you speak a little bit to the design that CropSwap uses to utilize recycled water, including rainwater? Yeah, sure. At the Asante Micro Farm, we also wanted to cater the water situation to the environment. Being in Los Angeles, we definitely wanted to figure out a way to use water smartly. And we figured out a way to capture and reuse all the water we use for the garden. So we've excavated two giant holes at the bottom of the hill of that front yard and now uh, line everything with a pond liner so that when the irrigation waters the food, it actually seeps through those soil socks where the, the soil and the plants are onto the pond liner and drips right back down into the pond, uh, the two underground reservoirs. These are covered up with stones and there's piping that is used to 
pump and irrigate that water to, to cycle it constantly. It's going to irrigate uh, on a timer twice a day. And we've got these, these food growing and all the water used is, is reused. So there is some biology, biological activity involved. We had to keep the roots of the plants far away from, from the actual reservoir. So we have lined the whole space with basically native plants. And then we also have other desert plants around. So it's going to create, you know, different atmosphere. Uh, there was some plastic involved in our design, of course, you know, some rubber in order to make sure we could capture and retain the water. But a lot of that was also recycled materials. For instance, the actual soil socks, they're polyurethane, but they're recycled from other plastics. I'll also add the reservoirs are about 660 gallons altogether. And that yard used to spend about 800 gallons each time it watered itself. Wow. So already, you know, we're, we're no longer spending 800 gallons a day to water their grass. We've made holes for 600 gallons and we'll use that over and over again to make food. That's amazing. It's crazy when you actually look at the numbers of how much we use for things like that, that we don't even think about, you know, and that's for growing grass, you know, something that's pretty much just for aesthetic. And now you're saving so much of it and also growing food. Yeah, it's insane. It's a, it's a big opportunity and it's a big oversight for, for folks who, who have big yards and are spending money on that. Our, our client who has this front yard garden now, they say that the first month we did our work, and it's only been a month and a half, maybe a month and a week, uh, their water bill has gone straight down from pricing. So they're no longer spending on the yard. It's just great to see that. And what do you see as the stretch goal image of CropSwap LA? You know, once you have an army of employed folks out there growing food across the city, what does that look like? Yeah, well, I lean heavily toward private arrangements like this, this residential arrangement was versus city lots or even unused lots are, are not as attractive because they are usually left unused for a reason. And that reason tends to be that the owner wants to sell it or get something else out of it. It's really more about the occupied land that is private between either individuals or institutions. So it can be with a nonprofit that has extra space or a church that has extra space. And again, those arrangements are super flexible because there's a lot of you, you can do with it depending on the land and depending on what that community is. So if it's just a small family, then, you know, it's relatively straightforward. What we see working so far is offering them a percentage of the, uh, of the income and having like a five-year lease and keeping it, keeping it rolling where we maintain it for them. And they, uh, they just kind of sit back. We keep, our, we keep track of the water and make sure that we pay that back. Um, but again, you know, we're, we're using so little water, it's like nothing. <laughs> and so then the other model with nonprofits and churches and communities that, that, that serve people is that, you know, they could pay to have us install the garden and then pay to have us maintain it and have that food continually go to their people. Like we're working with all kinds of models. Thankfully, you know, because it's not city dictated, you know, we can be flexible there. But if it were city land, like a park or something, there's a whole process through city council people and neighborhood councils and getting support that just takes a lot of political luck. And uh, I don't I don't have time for luck in times of, you know, this need. So these private arrangements are really way more advantageous for us. And for that reason, I envision that one day we'll have as many as 400 of these front yard gardens across Los Angeles. That's my goal. You know, it'll just be strategically located where it's such a hyper-local system. People are eating from those that they want to. 
and uh, very little transportation for us, Hi hiring locally, supplying locally, all of that is very possible. And I think 400 is a good point because what it says is that Los Angeles is determined to, to do this as a culture and to take advantage of the environment, like to accept the environment into your culture and what it's providing. So, so yeah, that's what I'm hoping to do. Yeah, no, I love that. It just makes sense, right? I could definitely see that all over the country, all over the world, you know, all these lawns and new spaces. Let's, let's grow some food out of it. And what you're saying about, you know, tapping into the weather in that long growing season that places like LA have, you know, that's a big part of connecting to our environment. You know, it's not just our hands in the soil and, and what's on the ground, but that connection to our local climate. And are you guys still doing events with the trading and swapping of the surplus of neighborhood gardeners? Or are you still working that into your model or maybe down the road? Yeah, we want to get back to the in-person crop swaps where gardeners can share their extras with each other. But uh, with COVID still keeping people awkward, we're, we're mainly now about growing food on the unused spaces. Um, but yeah, I do want to get back to that. There's still a lot of people who want to swap and get together. Uh, that community aspect was so enlivening for many of us. It was, you know, emotionally supporting. It felt natural, like a like a garden church on that Sunday, first Sunday. <laughs> so and, and for sure, we'll get back to it. That's really the backbone of how we got here, you know, that propagated the idea amongst people and supplied opportunity to get resources and access to each other. So, so yeah, absolutely. And what, what did that look like? Yeah, I'd have them back here in my backyard. Every first Sunday, just bring all the extras into a pile and share and eat as you wish. Uh, some people ate things in, on the spot. Others would bring homemade items out of things such as herbal teas and herbal remedies or breads from zucchini or some, some other cool things. Even people made different products from their gardens like toothpaste and loofahs. So certain, you know, healthcare products. <laughs> yeah, it was all ages, all stages, and kind of people in transition, people who are settled, just humanity leveled leveled at the point of food. I love that. I see things like that popping up all over the place. And I think we're hungry for that too right now. You know, not just that human connection, but that connection to the land and our food and how we can connect with our community, not in just sharing the products, but in growing the food itself. You know, gardening and farming was a communal activity for a reason, right? And what are some of those moments that you've seen with folks in the community or even the homeowners of the micro farm that you guys are putting in as you transform their lawn? You know, what are those moments that you've seen that spark happen where they've either seen what's possible or you've shared knowledge about the food or the soil health with them, where you really saw that spark of excitement that this work can create. Yeah, there's been a lot of amazing community response like that. So the the mailman, he's the most exciting one to have shared this idea with in water recycling, because as he walks through the area every morning, he looks down at the water re retention areas and is just so amazed and says, oh, but you don't use any water. You don't use any water. This is great. <laughs> you know, other people walk by walking their dogs and they say, hey, I really like this. You know, I, I like seeing food growing. Or, you know, some people are driving their cars and they'll see us out there and honk and wave um, or pull over and yell some support from there, too. And it's really enlightened folks on what's possible and shown them a way. 
Like, I believe that people who haven't realized the degree of freedom that they have can best be shown it by somebody else exercising that freedom. If a child's never walked before and you put them around other kids that are walking, they see that you can walk. Like, that's a potential thing to do. And so this is similar. Like, if folks haven't tried this with front yard gardening and water recycling and generative organic approach, then they never knew that that was possible. I'm, I'm hoping other people stand up and walk. They can, you know, they can walk with me and we'll come, you know, make each other wealthy and healthy or, you know, they can walk alone and figure it out, but somehow they got to get moving. Yeah, no, absolutely. It applies to so many things for all of us, right? And tell me about what were the gaps that you're witnessing that you wanted to help fill with your work? Yeah, yeah. You know, given the precarious nature of Los Angeles being earthquake zone, kind of five or six entrances into this valley that supply, you know, food. And then, you know, there's one water line outside the city that if all of that earthquakes closed, then we would be in a really tough food situation and water. So there's just no need to not be self-sustainable. Um, and I noticed that, you know, the food around our neighborhood was the worst that you can experience. There is a need to justice wise to stand up against, you know, the grocery stores and and the systems that are designed to poison and obstruct our progress as humans, as healthy people. I, I don't know how high up it goes, but, you know, the system, at least on the, on the ground, it, you know, looks like grocery stores in some neighborhoods are really bad and grocery stores in others are good. And yet, you know, we're all humans with the same needs. So it's just unjust, you know, and as high as it, as high as it may go, you know, that's as, hard, as high as I'm willing to like fight this because, you know, there have been policies placed in place that are what they call nutricidal, that are, you know, focused on the, the nutritional genocide of the people. And so I really, you know, don't like that we are going through it without fighting back. Um, and I, I see a very easy way to fight back is to just grow our own food, create our own economies, keep it all hyper-local. Nobody else got to get involved. Government and, and permits, there's no need to have permits on these private arrangements. It's, it's great to have the chance to show someone a new way and a new resource, a new weapon to defensively fight back against nutricide. Absolutely. No, it, it shows you the importance of that access, you know, and how we all have a role to stand up against it. You know, even those of us who have taken for granted the fact that they've had access. And you had mentioned to me earlier that a lot of what sparked you to start CropSwap LA began when you became a father. It's really part of my whole mission. Uh, you know, since I've had a family and I've got a daughter, um, it's kind of a natural desire to nurture and care for one another. And I think when the only resource for food around is poison or harmful in some way, then a defensive mechanism triggers to protect your child. And really every parent kind of has that understanding if you're a child or if you're in that whole circle of life, um, you know, then you're looking to have food for provided more locally and herbs available to heal your body. And, you know, I think just everyone, everyone that is part of that experience may understand it. For sure. No, it's, it's a big catalyst for us to become more aware and advocate for our health and wellness when it affects not only us, but those that we love and those that we're responsible for and, and young developing minds and bodies. But you and your team are doing a great job of changing that and bringing that awareness and those solutions to people. 
Um, can you tell us about the vertical gardens that you guys install for residences and businesses? Because it's really cool. And a lot of folks may think, you know, if they're in an apartment or don't have much space, that they're unable to grow their own food. But with these vertical gardens, it's super cool how much food it creates. Yeah. In fact, uh, the wall garden, the vertical wall garden that we do has 36 plants in it. So when we come to install it, it takes like an hour to put it up hook it up to the irrigation and make sure everything works. Um, but basically it waters itself and grows, you know, 36 plants uh, endlessly. So clients can do them one by one or side by side. And yeah, we, we swing by, we're, we're um, installers for the Varden system. It's a very easy system. People can have put up pretty, pretty effortlessly. And can you share for folks who are located in L.A. what the process will be for selecting residences to convert their lawns? You know, I know it's a huge process just to get one and congratulations on getting that first one going. But for going forward, you know, is there going to be like a sign up or a wait list that folks can get on or how will what will that look like? We're kind of really selective about where we do it next because we want the space to be big. And we want to make sure the family that owns it is aligned like this first one has been. I mean, they're really patient with us doing the work. And actually, it only took about a month to get it done. But leading up into that month, equipment had to be stored there. There's a little bit of follow-up and just clarity, communication to make sure everyone knows uh, what the water and financial situation will be ongoing. And so all of that just has to be you know, delicately curated. So if anyone out there has like a big front yard <laughs> and you're really aligned in Los Angeles, you know, we, we would love to create a water recycling system there that could feed your neighbors and offer you some income. For the vertical gardens, we do those for anyone. And that's obviously your own food. So once you schedule it, we'll come on out and put it up. Awesome. And the work that you're doing really hits on so many elements, right? In community building and job creation, as well as different levels of legality with starting a business and a social enterprise. You know, for others that are either in this work or looking to start up a social enterprise of any sector, it's good to share those realistic challenges that come up in that process. What are some that have come up for you in starting CropSwap LA? Well, going through COVID has caused it to go from a community get together thing that was kind of cute and didn't have to be registered to then a full on business that changed its own mission partway through in order to meet the post COVID world. So that type of flexibility, man, it's like being in a storm on the water with a ship that has one of those wheels. Mm -hmm. And sometimes when, (laughs) when the wind blows a certain direction or whatever happens, you just got to let that thing go. Because it's going to hit you or like you can't stop it. And then once you realize what's happening, you can kind of get back control of it. So what I what I did was decided to, to focus on, you know, what is what is the one thing that has to happen? And that is the creation of new food, because otherwise there was enough organizations moving food around some that did, you know, food bank food or others that were moving around farm food uh, in the excess periods where the farms had too much. And. I realized that until we created an infrastructure to grow our own and have our own local stock, we wouldn't really be secure. We'd still be at the whim of all of those external factors. So realizing what the real mission was there took a lot of adjustment. Another, another challenge is, frankly, just some of the business challenges. You know, managing all of that is important to make sure that it's clear to everyone that collaboration and decision making are two separate things. 
you know, there's, there's a fair amount of leadership challenges that I've encountered and found ways around or through that needed some tenacity and just willingness to, to be bold, complete honesty with people, you know, when something is right or not right. Um, that's important because that creates a consistent, truthful relationship between you and uh, just being willing to do anything like this growing experience in finding land and well, getting money, this, this was partially funded by the LA 2050 project, getting money, getting public support, keeping people paid adequately or volunteers cared for. All of that is, is just one straight vein of the expression. There's no splintering of the expression. It's one straight movement. It has to begin at the beginning and it does boil down to accounting, <laughs> keeping projects aligned, registrations up to date and just staying legal with the IRS. All of that is, is a potential risk. And it, at first you just wanted to grow some food, but now it's like, you know, very much on your taxes permanently and all of these real considerations. So I think honoring first that the business is a business and that, that you'll have to make the decisions. Uh, and then second, that things will change and that you can stay mission oriented like a compass and then go, being willing to continue to try new things. That's, that's really the value. Those are things that can be applicable to so much work, right? And um, I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. And can you speak a little to the importance of community-led work and why it's important for the people of a community to be the ones to, you know, lead the work that's happening there to, to better it, you know, but also maybe how it can also be done with this balance of support from different entities, whether that's city government or... well. So elected officials have the next term and they're always thinking about that, whether they're going to stay or go and how their actions ought to bend upon it. Um, but community members don't. They are, are personally invested in seeing something across the street do well uh, because they, they own property that boards it or they you know, literally would benefit from the actual production of, the, of that, that agriculture site. They, they feel an ownership and a responsibility and an opportunity to do something that they didn't have an opportunity to do before. This can apply to, you know, even neighborhood council levels or city council levels. Each of them have their own personal issues, their own political issues. Some of them have economic obligations. Some of them have legal constraints. Uh, all of that is, is just one person. And that's a lot of power for that one person. So as a community, we have a variety of assets as opposed to a variety of liabilities. Our only liability is usually our, our home and our life individually. That's great. It doesn't affect anyone else. But the assets that you can bring as a community member are much greater than the assets that someone who's elected can bring because you can choose to use it however you want without those constraints. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> That's right on. Thank you for that. And tell me about the prosperity market. Yeah, the prosperity market was started by Carmen, Diane, and Kara Still. It's a pop-up market that is going to show up in various locations in LA. Um, the first was in Inglewood, the next one's in Melrose. And Prosperity Market has a number of BIPOC farmers and producers of natural products that uh, showcase their things. And it's an outdoor farmer's market. Uh, we participated, PropSwap LA participated once so far. Yeah, everybody should check out the Prosperity Market. It's got unique, unique things. Very cool vibe too. One of the most unique, kind of like righteous events I've been to, folks who really are doing interesting stuff. That's awesome. 
God, I wish I could go down there to go to it. And is that the primary location that you guys will be selling the produce from the micro farm or where will that food be sold? Sure, sure. Uh, so the, the produce from the micro farm is going to be sold within two miles of where it's produced. And that's kind of one of our leading goals. That would be specifically to residents who have a micro box uh, reservation. We're hoping to sign people up, you know, starting soon uh, that are within two miles of, of that address. It's right nearby the Crenshaw Mall. But we'll also, you know, try to sell at Prosperity Market or to the West Adams Farmers Market, uh, which I founded. So kind of those three areas. Um, there's also the CropSwap app, which is a partner organization who potentially would sell on there as well and just have a lot of, you know, kind of off market venues. And what are you guys growing on that micro farm? Oh, my goodness. We have <laughs> 17 types of plants, including probably like nine lettuces, some greens and kales, some tomatoes, herbs, and the chard or like rainbow chard, butterhead lettuce, so good. But soon we'll have microgreens coming from that micro farm. So uh, we're going to install a little nursery that'll, that'll produce that on a tray by tray basis. So, yeah, we're hoping to uh, really offer something new to the community that is valuable create real jobs from my trainees <laughs> and uh, and me. <laughs> but yeah, I'm doing this whole time. You know, this is a passion. I think it's all purpose. And the universe is coming behind me to support me and my family to make this happen. Absolutely. No, I see it going nowhere but up. You know, it's so needed and the ripple effect is huge. And, you know, that, that value that it brings is just to the nth degree. Do you have any final calls to action for folks who are looking to grow their own food? And, you know, gardening and growing food is intimidating, especially if we don't have a knowledge base or the resources or the space. What are some accessible starting points to kind of break down some of those initial barriers of entry to growing their own food? Yeah. To those who are thinking about gardening yourself and maybe a little intimidated, I'd suggest first think back to your own family lineage and someone in your family who grew a lot of food already and how recent that was. It was probably just a hundred years ago. And, you know, it's really in us. It's already in us. In fact, it's uncommon for us to not know how to grow food. So whenever you choose to step into that space, step confidently knowing that, you know, there's a natural ability for our hands to, to capture seeds and to place them into the ground is a natural schedule in our minds to remember to water our plants and keep things healthy. There are natural things occurring in the soils once you've planted those that are going to keep it healthy for you and defensive against bugs. And there are things that are working for you. So by all means, you know, just get some of the best organic soil you can find nearby, you know, find a compost place, add 15% of your mix to that. And, you know, add some seeds that are just not, you know, not genetically modified. And, you know, you're, you're already off to a great start. So I, I suggest these soil socks, which are very basic, you know, socks that you stuff soil with. They're called garden socks. I, I like that website and that company to like order your, your first little set, set. You can put them anywhere and cut clips in the socks where you plant your plants. So either way, whatever you have nearby, just figure out what, what, would, what would grow in it. Make sure it's got holes in the bottom. And, uh, you know, try to, to see what you can grow. You can, you can observe it closely and, you know, see what, what works best. Sometimes clipping it early or sometimes switching the sunlight direction. You know, you can really manipulate a lot. So give it a try. Thank you so much to Jemiah for sharing your story with us. You can follow CropSwap LA on Instagram at LA CropSwap. 
for their updates, inspiration, and tips for growing both food and community joy. And also Jemiah's Instagram handle at Black Superdad. If you're in the LA area and you want to find out how to get some of their great food that they're growing or to have them install a vertical garden at your residence or business, check out their site, CropSwapLA.com. You can find these links as well as those for the Prosperity Market and the garden socks that Jemiah spoke about in the show notes of this episode. Thank you all so much for listening. Be sure to share these episodes with others and subscribe to hear more inspiring actions to help you find your role in a thriving planet. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Stories for Action and Twitter at Stories Number 4 Action. Learn about all of our work at storiesforaction.org. You can browse inspiring stories from others or submit your own for us to share. Thank you for being a part of our community, where our mission is to use the power of storytelling to share human connection and advance a thriving planet for all.